MindZone Muscle Community, welcome to the Fitness Pro Mentors interview series. If you want to hear some amazing interviews from amazing fitness professionals all over the world, please join our Fitness Pro Mentors private Facebook group. But today, let's make it rain. Fitness Pro Mentors, welcome to another episode of the Fitness Pro Mentors podcast where we're interviewing exercise titans, people in the industry who are leaders. And in this world, we talk a lot about exercise science, marketing, and lots of really cool stuff. But there's one key pillar that is absolutely pivotal for you to have a successful career, and it is sales. And I'm really excited to be here with a good friend and a mentor of mine, Mr. Greg Mack. Greg, welcome back, man. Thanks. Uh, appreciate you, Brandon, and uh, I'm excited to be back. And chatted up a little bit about this whole selling idea, right? So if anyone hasn't checked out Greg Mack's stuff, I mean, he's notoriously known for the client intake program that is involved into the muscle system specialist program, fantastic program. And we talked about that in our previous interview, and we'll definitely talk more about this in the future. But one of the other programs that exercise professional education had is the ethical sales course. And I mean, before we jump into these eight myths that we've got today and any other feedback that anyone else has here, please interact with us. We want to make sure you're getting lots of interaction around the sales. But Greg, that ethical sales course, if you don't mind ask, me asking, uh, what is the providence of that program? Like, how did you come to go all the way to create this ethical sales program? Yeah, well, it's a long story for sure. I mean, um, uh, originally I'd learned sales uh, essentially on the fly and, and thought I just had to do it as a necessary evil uh, to do what I wanted to do, which was to help people uh, get healthy and fit with exercise and exercise programming. And so, you know, I just read all kinds of books and took courses and um, DVDs and CDs and whatever I get my hands on to help me uh, figure out what selling was. And um, eventually ran into a course called the Sandler Sales Program. And uh, that opened my eyes to a new way of thinking about the sales process. Uh, and so, uh, use a lot of the principles and ideas from there, along with um, just some other decision-making um, processes that I learned along the way, because decision-making is something that's always interested me. And so kind of merge those ideas together and, you know, realized at some point in my career that, you know, selling really isn't this process of me trying to talk somebody into giving me their money for something, but that it really is just uh, a conversation, an interview about, making a decision and um, a clear decision yes or no is what we're looking for and this idea that you know I have to have all this pressure on me and put pressure on my prospect so that they you know say yes right uh, no matter what um, is uh, ridiculous stressful unnecessary yeah I couldn't agree more and so today I've got from conversations with a few people in our group and then some things I was thinking oh, that'd be great for you. I've come up with these eight, what I'll call the eight myths of sales that I think will be great for us to kind of ad lib on a little bit. Um, and I'm interested in really hearing your perspective. So I'm, I think everyone here will really enjoy it. Again, please, if you're watching this live, we've got a great number of people watching. Uh, please get your questions in because I've got eight. But if you've got more, we're going to pick Mr. Mac's mind. Sales, uh, sales Mythbusters. I always like that show Mythbusters on TV. Uh, maybe we need a, you know, episodes of uh, sales mythbusters. I think it's perfect, man. I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, that show is one of my favorites too. And I mean, in sales world, like you said, there's this I very some very narrow-minded stuff out there. So the first one that comes to mind, whenever I talk to anyone around sales that has come through EPE programs I've taught or even just mentioned the word sales, is the first myth really is that sales sucks. Yeah. No one likes doing sales, and it just feels nasty. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's true. You know, I mean, I've taught the ethical selling interviewing course for exercise professionals to um, folks around the world. 
Uh, in fact, I was surprised. I remember doing a course in the UK and I wasn't sure, you know, I mean, I, I had always taught the course and the context of the course, the philosophy of the course, you know, was grounded in North American culture. And uh, I wondered how it would fly, you know, in other cultures. And um, there's a particular exercise they do to try to draw out how people think about sales. And, and um, I was amazed to see that people from the UK, from the Netherlands, from France, uh, they all think about it the same way. It sucks, you know. Uh, and, and what is it about sales? Um, it's usually their own experiences with salespeople and sales process that makes it, makes it suck. <laughs> They didn't like being sold to, uh, and, and so why would they want to do something that they didn't like happening to them um, as, as part of it? And each of us, you know, has been subject to some really terrible sales processes, very high-pressure um, situations, uh, being lied to, manipulated, um, where deep buyer's remorse sets in. And uh, that's, you know, that's the problem is, you know, we needed a new way to think about this because, the vast majority of both consumers and salespeople think sales sucks. It's a shame though. I mean, I, and like you said, I mean, most people, when they think of sales, it's hard to not think of the snake oil salesman, which I know you talk about in your program and then car salespeople. Yeah. yeah the, you know, it's, it's the money pressure part, right? And, and once you put a lot of money pressure on somebody um, and they really don't know what else to do and their very job and livelihood you know, is depending on whether or not they can get money from somebody else. Um, you know, that just gets ugly because uh, I don't know about you or anyone in the audience, but I've never seen anything ruin a relationship faster than money. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, I think it is one of the leading things that makes people do nasty, crazy things. And it sucks. I mean, one of the things I know you've talked about quite a bit, uh, which isn't even a myth, I should have popped that up here, is, you know, you people, I'll tell you what, actually, I'll bring this point up because it's going to lead into the next point. Because I think the second myth is kind of leading right into what you're talking about, which leads to what I was thinking is that the second myth is that you always have to be closing. Always be closing, right? Yeah, I play that very famous clip um, from the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross uh, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the training. Um, to bring up, you know, everything that's wrong with sales process. Now that that's from the the salesman, salesperson's perspective, right? And the kind of crazy pressures that that they're under. And, you know, this idea of in closing, meaning, you know, you're going to force this person to say yes in one way or another, is typically how that's met. Versus the general idea of closing the decision, you know, and getting to a clear yes or no at the end. There's nothing wrong with closing in that context, but this idea of always be closing and hammering and hammering and hammering away at the prospect and wearing them down until they just can't take it anymore and they give you their money. Yeah. Now that's what people are sick and tired of. It's just exhausting for both the salesperson and the customer. I don't actually know if I've told you this, but the first gym I ever worked at, it was a really successful gym. We snuck the RTS thoughts in there, some other unique thinking processes. And then someone came in from like a corporate sales world and brought a sales process into the place. And how the whole thing worked was that there was this five by five room upstairs where they performed fitness assessments and they would collect some baseline information, flexibility, bicep curl strength with a dynamometer style machine, weight, all that stuff. And then they would sit down with you and they would try to sell you personal training. Mm -hmm. 
And 15 years ago when this happened in this facility, that facility had been around for 20 years, that sales process and the emotional sales, which we're going to talk more about a little bit, it rocked the facility so much. People were so perturbed by it and so like, oh my gosh, I'm in such a distraught shape. I need personal training. And that back room created hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of sales very quickly in the first few years with that very pushy new sales process. But that same sales process over time was the reason why that gym fell apart was because people kind of caught wind to that back room means bad things. And that means that I'm going to be told how terrible I am. And then I'm going to have to buy a year long worth of training package and X, Y, and Z. And it turned into like this sad, emotional buyer's remorse experience rather than the genuine helping of humans using this crazy fitness thing. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I've seen similar techniques, you know, where um, trainers on in an open floor setting will do, you know, skinfold analysis, uh, um, literally shaming the person into making a, a decision to pay for, you know, a year's worth of personal training in advance or something, you know, like that. And um, any process that's not built on, you know, some fundamental truth and honesty uh, will eventually fall apart. There's just no question about about that. And and, and, you know, the kind of selling I'm talking about, um, interviewing really to a decision, I, I just hate the word even selling or sales, it has such a bad connotation now, um, is, you know, this, this idea that we should be speaking the truth and being honest and that helping somebody make a decision um, along, along mutual win-win guidelines is really the key to long-term relationship selling. Now, if you're a retail clerk in a mall and you chances of you ever seeing this person again, you know, you, you don't need a sophisticated process for that, you know, a retail um, commodity-based selling, which is unfortunately what has happened to the exercise and fitness industry is the consumer thinks of personal training or coaching or whatever as a retail commodity. Something you just go shop for, find the color you like, at the lowest price you can find, pull it off the shelf and pay for it and leave and not really think about it. And, and, you know, what I coach and, and teach is, you know, a relationship, professional relationship dynamic. And that's a totally different thing than, you know, the current retail commodity mindset. There's a funny story that I remember one of my, my uncle, he was going to, he wanted to buy a Jaguar car. And he went to a car dealership and he walked in there and none of the salespeople talked to him. And he walked up to one of them and said, hey, I'm here to buy a car. And the guy looked at him and said, we don't sell cars here. We sell experiences. And he walked away from him. <laughs> and it was just weird thing. But um, that kind of leads into this idea of what I would say is the third myth. And you've kind of already jumped on it. But it was the idea that uh, personal training sales needs to be relatively aggressive and have very specific parameters. I don't know about for you, but in our area, if I think of every fitness sales place, personal training is viewed as a commodity. And all these places do view the sales of personal training in a very specific way. You need to buy a specific package. It needs to be a year long. You want to buy anything that's not at least once a week, if not three times a week. It doesn't even exist. So it's this very aggressive, one-size-fits-all style program uh, to really push people to buy stuff. So do you think that that's how it should be? It should be an aggressive yeah. weekly, you got to buy this or you get nothing? Yeah. It, again, it just facilitates in the consumer's you know perspective of you know how terrible sales processes. I mean, getting talked into some kind of one-year commitment um, is a terrible thing for both 
the company and the and the consumer because who knows you know whether a year is gonna you know even happen for you or them right and how often you know they find themselves fighting with the, the customer about giving their money back or halfway through they want to stop or they get injured or something happens they move and now you, you you've already spent the money that they gave you right for a year and now you're bumming as a co- company um you know so it's just the whole thing is just a, a mess in, in that regard uh, and again the, the the idea is to try to capture somebody i'm, I'm going to catch you it's like a bait and switch operation um when if, if somebody you know has a, an experience and there's nothing wrong with selling an experience that's what we're talking about here in, in that sense just not the cheesy way that the car salesman presented it um is you know what what we want the consumer to make is a is a decision about the professional relationship and engaging a professional relationship in however that might manifest at, at a personal level, whether it's once a week or twice a week or twice a month or three times a week for three weeks and then once a week for a couple of weeks. And then we set up a program form that they do on their own and we visit them once every six weeks up, up if that's what they want. Right. You know, when you're trying to drive and force a particular product down a consumer's throat, um, they don't appreciate it typically, and uh, you don't have to. You, you don't have to. You, you you can customize this whole thing, and and the more relaxed and trusting, and and when the consumer recognizes that you're not just there as this, you know, roaring lion trying to get into their wallet all the time, you know, they're going to relax and and consider you, you know, an advocate, someone they can use for the rest of their lives. Whether it's once a week or three times a week is, you know, okay, we'll we'll work that out. But um, it's about selling the long-term professional relationship. That's that's what I see works the best. Um, we do not sell packages. I, I haven't really sold packages for decades. Um, once people understand, you know, the professional relationship and how I fit and what they want and how that can work, you know, I've got clients that have been around for 20 years, 15 years. Yeah, that professional relationship thing is very key. I mean, I'm charging arguably three times more what I used to charge when I first started in this career. And when I first started, I was getting clients that were sold those gigantic three times a week, year long packages, which from a financial end, you're like, ah, I got a placeholder client for a year. This is great. But like you said, those relationships change. Injuries happen, things happen. And nothing is worse than when someone doesn't want to be there. There's financial strife or emotional strife. And then you have to kind of keep going through this because they're contractually obligated to you, but they don't want to be there. I mean, when I was getting less than I am now, three times less than I was now, some of those sessions were the most painfully drawn out, exhausting sessions for both of us because both of us didn't enjoy the experience. You know, we're going to build solid, high quality, long-term relationships, right? If you want to stay in this field and, and enjoy it and have a high satisfaction um, level with it, um, you, you want to show up every day to work with people that know why you're there, know why they're there, uh, understand um, agree to the you know professional process, the borders, the constraints, and the potentials, and and go to work versus you know this forced labor process, right? What a, what a nightmare! I can see why most trainers just leave the business after six or seven years. It's too, too yeah, pretty. I. I heard it was three years, like the average churn rate from um, the Mad Lab guy. He was saying it's three years, which in either way, I mean, it's too short. I mean, it just sucks. It's a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, you know, because, again, selling the packages, right? You, you, you promote it as, you know, our sessions are $100 an hour. But if you buy 50, you get them for $40 an hour, right? You know, as, as 
which automatically compromises the value of the whole process. And then, you know, 40 bucks for a session and you got to give half of it to the gym and now you're making 20 or less and you can't make a living on that, quite frankly, very, for very long. Right? So, Just devalues one's time. I mean, that's such a bummer. And so, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is more of like a, a question around you and physicians fitness, I think, because this is kind of a cool thing. I know in Columbus, Ohio, um, there's some pretty like high end, unique kind of like celebrity status fitness people um, all kind of like close to you. And there's a lot of different a lot of different fitness operations very close to you. I know I've been to you and there's a lot of like fitness things. Um, I also know, um, without getting into any details, that Physicians Fitness, you guys do offer such a high-level precision expertise with the muscle system certification and your various other um, education that you guys are charging like two, if not three times that, the average price of personal training exercise uh, in your town. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you are quite literally the opposite of the regular, the fold, right? The general is, you know, $60, $85 for an hour. You're selling packages. You got to sell contracts. You operate off commission, and you are doing higher price points more specialized, more focused niche and charging two to three times that. Uh, I mean, with this particular sales process that you're talking about, how's that been for you? Well, it's great. It's fantastic. You know, I work Monday through Friday, you know, I get my weekends off. I have a normal schedule, a normal life. I don't have to work 12 hours a day, six days a week, you know, to pay my bills. It's, you know, it's crazy, right? So, yeah, I know, again, you know, the way that we establish the relationship, the way that we establish value and, and create a win-win situation and take on clients that really we think we can help and that they can see that we can help. And that we, I mean, we do high-level problem solving here. We're solving problems most people cannot, you know, with exercise and, and musculoskeletal health care. And so, you know, people will value you when you can solve tough problems. You mm-hmm. solve tough problems, you get paid more. That's it. I don't know what else to tell you. You're not going to get paid much counting reps and taking people through protocol, pre-structured, programmed workouts. You're not. Other people can do it. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And it's funny. I would say that personally on my journey, um, I mean, getting people in the door for me was really never a problem getting people to to stay and transition was a problem. And I think you know this, but I mean, I was lucky enough. I taught um, RTS when I was like 23, 24 and had a lot of success with that. And I had all this education, but the challenge that I had with that, which by the way, I mean, I still think about that moment where I stole your face cloth when we were at the RTS instructor meeting and I used it to clean the whiteboard and I, I'm really sorry about that. But from that, it was when I learned more about sales and communication and delivery from you, that all of that information was able to come out in a higher quality value in a more streamlined process, rather than just this like one hit wonder demo session that was going to sell all my value for a year. Crazy. Crazy. It was unnecessary. So yeah, once you approach it from a decision making model, the frame changes the whole dynamic. Now, on that same note, this leads kind of like to our fourth myth that I want to talk about today. And um, I kind of, I I think I know where you're going to go with this, but I'm excited to hear what you say, is that you want to sell someone only when they're emotional. Yeah. Again, this is what um, grifters and uh, con people do, right? Con men. They hook, it's called hooking hooking the child or hooking the parent ego state in their model, right? So... Um, yeah, no, you don't want to sell just based on emotion because that's usually where buyer's remorse comes from. Emotion is critical because that's where value is established. That's where motivation comes from. And and so you need to know what the emotional um, 
you know, attachment is to the problem, but that needs to be reconciled with the logic and rational side of, of the decision process. And when you can merge those two um, in a cohesive way, now you have high value and, and, you, and you help develop commitment, which is really what you need as a coach or a trainer from somebody is commitment. And so, um, no, you don't want to hook people on emotion. Only. You need to know what it is. Very important thing that needs to be reconciled and, and reattached to the logical, rational one part. We call that a fully integrated ethical stand. I love it. That's honestly the emotional sales thing is exactly why my previous gym struggled so much no. is because the entire process. And I think that's most personal training sales. I mean, it's like the skin fold thing you talked about. And I know a studio in town here that literally takes pictures of people with their shirt off, has like the polo, uh, Polaroid camera thing. They shake it out and they put it on the wall and they go, that's not very healthy. That's not very good. How does that make you feel? And it becomes very easy when someone's all insecure and emotional to make them sign a contract. You can resolve their problem. But like you said, buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse. Terrible thing, right? Giving money back. Right? So it's no fun, you know? So yeah, um, this is why you, if you don't have a highly structured, well thought out um, process, uh, you're it's really the only place you can go is either just winging it, um, trying to be someone's best friend Hopefully they'll buy because they like you, right? Which is really dangerous in and of itself. Um, or you're going to resort to these high pressure based sales tactics, um, which don't last because the word will get out eventually. People talk to each other in your community. What do you, what do you want them saying about you? I just want to kind of point out that uh, you got a couple of people here who are saying things like we got someone saying Mac attack, fully integrated, rational baby. Woo! So, uh, People are uh, people are watching and excited. It was 18 months in the UK when I started, and so we got people who are commenting. Man, this is super cool, uh, very exciting stuff. So please, if anyone's watching this and you're listening to this in the future, if you're watching right now, leave some questions below that I can ask Greg. And if you're listening in the future, uh, either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, please leave a comment or send me an email for questions you have for Greg, and we can have him on and talk more about sales myth busting because there's some deep stuff here. Um, so Greg, I got another one for you and I'm, uh, I'm confident I know what you'll say, but I don't think I've ever talked to you about this is that once the sale is done, sales is done. Yeah. What do you think? Well, it's a, you know, not just a myth. It's a, a bad way to think about it. It's a bad <laughs> idea. So, you know, again, it's, it's this very narrow, superficial way of thinking about the process, right? Um, because, this is a relationship that we're talking about. Again, not a retail commodity thing. Again, if if you're just selling widgets off a shelf um, in a mall and you're never going to see that person again, you know, who cares about the relationship and that dynamic and trying to sustain, you know, that relationship and sustaining and building and maintaining a healthy relationship is essentially a an ongoing process um, of of sales, right? I mean. You know, this is this is the problem with the industry, in that there's this weird this weird gap that we all know that someone should be exercising um, for the rest of their life, not just for three months and they stop. That's not good, right? And so, if we need people exercising for the rest of their life, wherever you meet them in that life course, um, well, someone needs to help manage that because the exercise process will probably need to change over time. 
and they might need professional help to do that effectively. Um, but yet we don't think about setting up and maintaining the relationship, you know, so much of the industry now is just about weight loss, dude. I mean, it's a nightmare of, of weight loss or um, bodybuilding, you know, get muscular, put your picture on Instagram, right? Um, you know, and, 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 you know, it's great to have a, a nice physique. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, you know, it's great to lose weight, you know, but what's the problem with, with that, uh, with the weight loss thing, you know, if you can't help them lose weight, they're leaving. Um, once they lose weight, they're leaving. <laughs> Why do they need you anymore? Right. And so again, the way that even the trainers are presenting themselves professionally, is just a mess. It's just terrible. It's a real shame. Um, you know, let alone, you know, the, the bodybuilding muscular thing. Um, do you think someone's going to look like that the rest of their life? I, have you seen pictures of Carl Weathers and, and Sylvester Stallone recently in their 70s? Sylvester Stallone's looking okay. He looks okay. Does he look like he did when he was in his 30s? Heck no, man. No. You think he's training the same way that he was in his 30s? No. 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 Right. So, you know, if you're an exercise professional and you want to bring to bear the real powerful things that appropriately administered and dosed exercise can do across the lifespan, you do need a lot of technical knowledge and physiology and mechanics. And, and that's important biochemistry and things like that, so that you can actually bring something valuable to the table as the biological organism is changing over time. Um, especially in the face of the, you know, diseases and things. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I, how, how do you want to be as a, as a trainer? You know? So um, this is, the, this is the thing, you know, it's fun to train athletes. It's fun, right. But they're not going to be competing their whole life. You know, it's funny. You, I mean, this whole thing, like trainers need to be thinking about the lifetime value of a client yeah. and how that's going to fit in. And you mentioned bodybuilding and weight loss. I mean, I, I think those are two very volatile markets. I mean, there are hundreds, millions of people that want to make money helping someone be a bodybuilder or someone who wants to be lean. And in most of the businesses I've seen that have taken that model and been really successful with it, there's really like two scenarios I can think of is one, there's this kind of like celebrity level someone who's influencing them. So they're constantly excited about being in their world. And then the second, um, and I think I see this a lot within the CrossFit world is that the idea that the community sells the reinforcement of staying in the world. So they get sold on the idea they're gonna get lean and then everyone wants to hang out with their community friends working on weight loss. In reality, no one's making massive changes. There are small champions, but in reality, it's just a part of this community. In reality, there are some pretty big health problems that pop up as people get older, like you're saying. And if we can have a really good delivery of how we can help people with those problems over time while they're kind of going downward on the aging side of things, it's a powerful tool. Powerful tool. Again, you know, nothing wrong with bodybuilding and building muscle. Nothing wrong with that. You know, we need to do that. But the body doesn't want to change, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Homeostasis is a very powerful process. And what it takes to change it significantly, the vast majority of humans are simply not willing to do, let alone take the time necessary to Com- do it. Completely it's agree. a massive investment in time and energy to uh to create, you know, these highly muscled and super lean um, bodies, very difficult to do. Um, and most people won't do it. They, they can't do it. They can't commit to that, right? You know, it's like, it's like golf, right? If you want to be, a lot of people like to golf, but how many are actually on the pro tour? Yeah. Not very many. 
and how many hours a day do pro golfers have to work every day mm-hmm. to stay there once they get there six eight ten hours a day on the golf course big time <laughs> could do that so we got um two things here for you there greg so very first and foremost and johnny cook uh with a great point um, just really quickly saying obesity, however, is a health epidemic and exercise is a very powerful tool to help people. I mean, absolutely. There's some really powerful stuff that comes from all of this. And I, um, I, I don't want to dismiss the, what we're talking about saying that we don't want to help those people. But I think when it comes down to the sales of it, um, how the delivery is when you talk to people about where exercise fits in into the world. I mean, in my opinion, the idea of selling someone a six week, 10 pound turnaround program I think that's a tough place to be, but I think if you can talk about the long-term health implications, it's powerful. It's not going to happen. I, you know, Johnny's right. Obesity is a massive problem. I mean, you know, I just saw an article um, about this whole pandemic thing and that it's not the pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's a pandemic of the obese. Mm. And in, in the research in COVID, what's the number one comorbid risk factor for death? Yeah. Obesity. Uh, yeah. You know, of course, it's a huge problem. Um, that apparently no one has really solved because it hasn't gotten any better. It hasn't gotten better. And the amount of exercise you would have to do to counter the eating behaviors, no one's going to do that much exercise. Yeah. Can building exercise, uh, using exercise to build muscle and increase your me- metabolic um, you know, resting output of caloric? Yes, it's a very important thing. But... Um, Exercise alone can't can't do it. You know, I mean, it has to be, you know, fundamental change in what the heck's going on. Can make a big dent, but yeah, it can't be the captain of the ship. You can work out for an hour, burn 600, 700 calories, and go over to Dunkin' Donuts, and that's over. Two donuts, done. Done. He earned the donuts, man. Done. Right? So, I mean, okay, how much can you exercise a day? Right. You, you know, you, you talk to Olympic athletes, they can't eat enough. Why? Well, they're in, they're in the six or eight hours a day. Yeah. They've actually expended twenty five hundred or three thousand calories a day just in physical activity. They can eat two pizzas, not gain any weight. The average human can't do it, won't do it, can't do it. big thing man and i think we need this to be a great conversation for another episode because we could go deep tough. on this because i think this is a cool tough. thing tough one it's a tough problem uh so Greg, i'm gonna got i got four more myths for you and then i actually have a question from one of our mentors mr glenn owen and we're gonna try and smash this out in the next few minutes here uh the question i want to ask you for myth number four is that you should use big words to impress people no, to make sales yeah, yeah, that's right yeah win them over with your intelligence right yeah no that's a that's a loser unfortunately why um because when people are using big fancy words that you don't understand guess how you feel dumb and if your consumer feels kind of dumb um we've got a rule Uh, if someone's not okay they're either going to make you not okay or they're going to (laughs) leave and so trying to be too fancy with your with your high academic language with a consumer um, is not a good idea you're not impressing them you're confusing them and overwhelming them with information they can't process for this decision that they need to make. Right? Drives me nuts. I mean, you know, I'll go down to the computer store and I'm looking for a cable, right? For my um, my mic my mic cable broke. 
you know, and I go down there and I'm talking to, you know, somebody who's probably an undergrad in computer science and they're just spitting out all of these acronyms and names and, and types of ports. And, and I have no idea what, I have no idea what they're saying. I'm just like, look, I need a cable to go from this thing to my computer. That's what I want. Right. And, uh, it's uncomfortable um, because I have no idea what they're talking about. Well, Mr. Johnny Cook agrees with you. It says Facebook user here, but Johnny Cook's agreeing with you, and I love it. And then Mr. Norley, who's one of our students, just says this really puts everything into perspective. Thanks so much, Greg. He loves it. So uh, you're crushing this, man. This is absolutely fantastic and great information. And someone else just wrote Johnny there. Simple is the best. I couldn't agree more. Keep it simple. Keep it focused on them, their needs. They should be talking almost the entire time. You should yes. be listening. Keep it simple, silly. Rest of the time, I, you know, all the all the answers are in them. All the information is in them. I mean, how long would it take you to really explain to a complete stranger everything you know and can do? How long? Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> a few days. <laughs> how many hours a day? Right? You cannot. It's yeah. ludicrous. It's ridiculous. Right? And people are not making decisions based on all of your technical knowledge that you have in your head and what you can remember and regurgitate to them. That's not why they're hiring. Why are they hiring? Connection, relationship, trust being built, right? You being professional. Couldn't agree more, man. Thank you. I love this. Uh, So I got three more big ones for you. Do anything for the sale. (laughs) <laughs> Again, you know, I, I hear this a lot, right? Uh, do anything for the sale. Yeah. You're going to compromise your ethics or your morals to make a sale. You're in big trouble real fast, right? I'm not a big fan of Machiavellianism at all. Uh, and so, you know, again, you're trading off your soul to make money. Um, you're going to be an unhappy and unsatisfied person. Uh, and that's going to be quite sad, unfortunately. You don't have to. You don't have to. In fact, you'll find that, you know, when you develop boundaries, um, people respect that more. When, when you can express, hey, look, this is how far I'll go and I'm not going to go any further. Uh, and this is why people res- respect that. They may not like it sometimes, but they'll they'll respect it. Um, and so, yeah, you, you should not be giving away, you know, your soul and, and your emotional um, piggy bank. Uh, just to make money I, again that's a that's a moral construct for me right I, i'm not i'm not going to do that people know this right I, I think most people have what they got their they got their antennas up for what you're a shyster right you're a shyster you're just doing this to make money you know and, and now if, if if they can make you jump through all kinds of hoops and jump off platforms and all kinds of crazy stuff they might do it for their own entertainment <laughs> it's like look what this idiot's gonna do in order to make money let's watch right yeah you know i mean it's it's sad it's not necessary it's a big myth bust that one right now stop doing that if you're doing that I love that. I love that. Um, and so this leads into, I got two more. One's actually not a myth. One's kind of like more of a, a question, a broad question for you. But um, this last kind of myth, I would say, I heard someone say this and I saw you posted about this, which I thought was very interesting, is that body language not, is not important. It's about what they say. It's not about the body language at all. What do you think? Now the research, um, you know, blows that up real fast, right? I mean, Dr. Alba Moravian did this research. It was confirmed by follow-up researchers. 
uh, and now he was studying a particular aspect of communication, you know, which was how how meaning is uh, transferred um, in, in, a, in a communication process when you're face to face with somebody and um, the um, mean showed that 55% of communication uh, is imparted from physiology from your body language from your eyeballs from your mouth from your nose you know whether you turn your head you duck your head right yeah so no it's a big myth so on that i was wondering because i have a question about kind of like your biggest sales moment and then we've actually got a great question from glenn that i want to ask you and then we'll put a pin in today um on that body language side of it would you mind kind of like just speaking through an example of like you're in a conversation with someone you're talking about what you do where is it that the words and the body language perhaps don't line up but you get an indicator from body language that maybe you're not getting the truth when they're talking to you about what they're saying well, that's tough, right? I mean, there's some books that you can buy that um, uh, you know might help you with some of that. But uh, if you pick up what you believe to be incongruency, and this is what Dr. Morabian was researching, right? Is how do we know that there's incongruency in uh, a communication uh, as well? And you just have to start to ask questions about about that, like what what just happened. So, you know, we call that setting off a bomb right in front of us. So. If you think someone's lying to you or misleading you, um, you need to start penetrating and asking some questions and rephrasing questions and circling back to see if they're giving a, a consistent answer, no matter how you, you know, come in to um, find out more about what, what they just said. And so uh, do, do prospects lie? Yep. Will they lie to you as a salesperson? Uh, yep. Will they withhold information on purpose? Uh, yes, they will. Why are they doing this? Well, this is what we cover in the course, why they're doing this. They're doing this to protect themselves because they think that, you know, somebody's trying to take money out of their pocket that they worked really hard to protect and or gain and, and now want to protect. And so, um, in fact, the sales transaction is probably the one transaction where humans feel totally justified lying through their teeth to protect themselves, right? You know, so, yeah, um, you, you'll start to find out pretty quick. I mean, again, you know, not every human. Most humans have spidey senses about this stuff, and and if you sense some some uh, inconsistencies, um, you better start asking more penetrating questions because I have rights as well. The consumer doesn't have all the rights here. You know, I get to put people in my schedule. They don't get to put themselves in my schedule. I get to paint my world and, and picture, not them. And so that's what we're trying to figure out: is their world and my world, you know, come together. You know, even with some minor compromises, yeah, okay, I can do that. Um, and if I'm talking to someone who I'm starting to think uh, isn't going to fit, you know, my particular ethical um, and philosophical and methodological work process, then it's over. I'm going to end the, the conversation. Perfect. Makes perfect sense to me. And then really quickly, Mr. Uh, Johnny Cook just wanted to really quickly say great job to fellas. He's going to watch the rest of the recording. So that's great. Uh, so everyone, hey, listen, if you're checking this out live, um, we'd love to have Greg on. And if you're ever paying attention to any of these other episodes live, please ask questions like we did today. This was great. I mean, Norley, Glenn, Johnny, all you interacting, it's going to help us customize the show. Uh, Greg, I got one more question for you that I prepared. And then I've got one from Glenn. And that'll be a great way to end the day. Um, in sales world, my question for you really is of all the things that that you've studied all the things that you've learned what would you say like the groundbreaking kind of like paradigm shifting moment was for you when you started studying sales what is the one thing that kind of like shifted your perspective the most 
Well, what shifted? I don't know if it was a, a specific point in time. You know, it, it probably was, you know, when, as an entrepreneur, and I, you know, and I want to grow my business because I don't want to give anyone here the idea that, you know, you need to make money. <laughs> this transaction is where, you know, money will, will transfer um, from one person to another. And so you need to do that. But yes, that if I wanted to stay in this field, um, I had to get good at, uh, and it was probably when uh, I was uh, with my partner, we were running personal training contracted by um, a club here in town. We were probably running out of six locations, five or six of their locations, trainers. We had probably 20 trainers working for us or some crazy number. And um, also had contracts with chiropractic offices. And, and there's pressure there, right? There's like, wow, I mean, we got bills every month, we got to pay, right? And so I had to figure out, you know, how could I feel ethical and comfortable? Um, and what could I actually teach other people that was duplicatable, um, that kept everybody feeling good about themselves uh, in the process and, and not blowing up the customer with all this crazy um, sales shenanigans, right? So, yeah, it was probably in that, in that period of time. Yeah, that's very important. And so on that kind of note, I mean, this kind of goes back to history, and this is Glenn Owen's question. Uh, he asked, if you could go back 10 years from now and speak to your younger self, uh, what advice would you give Mr. Greg Mack? <laughs> Just relax, man. Take it easy. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> right? You know, uh, I can be rather intense, and um, I used to be a little too intense, um, and uh uh, turn some people off probably more than I should have um, with my intensity, right? So, yeah, take it easy, relax. Um, we don't have to solve the, the world's problems today. And we're probably not going to be able to do that. So, yeah, I would say chill, man. Awesome, Greg. I mean, you have an incredible amount of knowledge in your noggin, and you do a great job of delivering it. And so I think I like your intensity personally, but I could see uh, where you're coming from. So awesome. Dial it up, dial it down. Dial it up, dial it down, right? Little mixing board. You got to mix it up a little bit. Well, Greg, hey, listen, thank you so much for your time today. That was uh, a 42 minutes of sales myth-busting conversation, and this episode was full of packed of wisdom. Uh, Greg, I know we've asked you this before, but if anybody's just checking you out for the very first time and really quickly, um, we had somebody say here, oh, Daryl Richards here, great interview, always lots of insights from Greg. Uh, Greg, if people are checking you out for the very first time, they're hearing this for the first time, uh, where can they find you? Um, well, they should go to www.exerciseproed.com, um, get the ethical selling interviewing course for exercise professionals. If you, if you want to get better at this, uh, increase your competency, um, and acquire a high level of skill, which it is, this is a, a skill, a competency to acquire that will pay very long-term dividends for you. Um, in fact, I think, uh, you can use the fit fitness pro mentors code get 25% off the course, um, get the course. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. So, well, we've got, uh, Greg Mack, is, I mean, sorry, Glenn Owen is somehow chirping you. He's saying Toronto Argos talking about the CFL and the NCAA. So he's poking at football stuff. Uh, we got Norley here saying he can't wait to learn more, which is super exciting. And then someone that you know, Mr. Lewis Ballantyne, mm. loves it. 
So, Greg, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I can't speak highly enough for the sales stuff I've learned from Greg's program. So uh, please check out that stuff. We do have that 25% discount code if you use Fit Pro Mentors. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. What we'll do is we'll make sure we put below Fit Pro Mentors. And uh, someone says, well said, Glenn, around football. So everyone, thank you so much for checking this out. Greg, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks, my friend. See you.